Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Everybody, welcome to another week of Chasing Frets. I'm joined this week by Andy Ellis. Hello there. And uh, our guest this week is Kim Perlack, who is the the head of the guitar department at Berkeley. And uh, I've known her uh, years ago. We worked together at the National at the National Guitar Workshop. Uh, she was head of the intern program there. And also, that's where Near Felder came through. He was friend of the show. Near Felder. He was an intern there during Kim's tenure, and she taught a lot of the beginner uh, classes at the workshop, and then uh, went on, finished her doctorate down in Texas, and and went off to, to Berkeley, and now she's the, the head of the guitar department there, the first wo- woman to do so as well. And today's episode, we're talking about a little bit about kind of behind the scenes about what she does at Berkeley, but also uh, what, if you're thinking about going to music school, what are some things you should keep in mind to be better prepared? You know, and one of the things that struck me is, as we were having this conversation, that even for someone who isn't planning to go to an academic setting to, to learn guitar, the tips and ideas that she offered would apply if you were studying with a local guitar teacher and even if you don't have a guitar teacher and want to be your own guitar teacher, all of these tips in this episode will apply if you are interested in bettering yourself as a musician on the guitar. Yeah, and just hearing how how somebody, you know, who's head of one of the larger guitar departments in the world, not the largest, uh, is always refreshing because she sees, she's seeing, you know, a new crop of young guitar players come in every year. And, yep. you know, she's kind of on the front line of, of guitar education yep. when it comes to all the people we're going to be hearing about and talking about, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years. So yep. it's always great to hear Kim's perspective, and she's so much fun to talk to. So I uh, hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll jump right into it with our first talk with Kim Perlack. The Atlanta Institute of Music and Media's Music and Technology program offers a unique degree, combining the skill sets of music production with focuses in guitar, bass, keys, drums, and vocals. Find out more at AIMM.edu. All right, Kim, thank you so much for for joining us this week on Chasing Frets. How are you doing? It's my pleasure to join you. I'm doing great. Thanks. And how are things at uh, at Berkeley looking this fall? I'm sure uh, quite different probably than a typical year, huh? It's quite different than a typical year, but I'm very happy with how things are going. Um, we're fully remote at Berkeley. We have everyone doing their classes, ensembles, performance courses that we have, and PI. 
uh, which is our private instruction and recital preparation lessons. Everything's remote. I'm so impressed with the way the faculty have just switched up the curriculum and the way the students are responding. Um, I think we always know that in music, you're preparing for things that are in person and you're preparing for things that are in a recorded format. And so usually, right, the, the in-person format dominates. And now we're able to say, okay, let's focus on some of these things that are real skills that you really have to be able to adapt to and learn about for your career that have to do with being prepared to work in a remote environment. And it's been really fun and creative in that way. And it's been really great to see how the students have responded to that. It strikes yeah. me also, just listening to you describe this, that many professional guitarists who are currently in their careers are having to grapple with exactly what you're saying about this, this remote learning, and they don't have tools. Uh, they're doing remote performances, you know. They do the Zoom concerts, you know, subscribe to, to my Zoom concert. Um, but how amazing it is that your students at this formative time happen to be in this place where they can learn how to cope with what may be with us as a form of expression for years to come. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think there's two parts of that that are important. One is just the practical thing that you just laid out really beautifully is that this will be part of our professional work, more so maybe, but definitely it will continue. And already we've had students working in television and film and different types of media who've had to learn to do some remote recording. I think moving forward, we're going to have just as much, if not more. And I think the young people who have had the courage to come to school during a pandemic and embrace that I think are in a really good shape. And that brings me to the second part of that, which is the key thing for every musician. The key skill is adaptation. You have to be able to adapt. I mean, think about our careers, the three of us, how many times it took a left turn. And what are all the tools you have, whether they're physical tools like technology tools or you're playing or the way you think or the way you've learned to approach things. You have to be able to use everything you have to adapt. And often you have to do it fast. And these students at a super young age, as, as you've pointed out, they've had to adapt on every level. And so I'm very interested to follow these young right. musicians and see where they are in five or 10 years. Because I think the empowerment of doing this and doing it well is a huge thing to say that you've done in your yeah. college years. Yeah. And when you when you talk about adapting, Kim, I had so many flashbacks of our time at the National Guitar Workshop. There'd be days where I'd wake up expecting that day to do X, Y, and Z. Like, okay, this is what I have to do today, or this is what I'm going to do today. And by the end of the day, something you're like, you would have never imagined happened, happened, and you just had to kind of roll with it, you know? Yeah, as you're saying that, I thought of two specific instances. <laughs> I thought of so many, but um, 
it happens so often that one of our colleagues there, Greg Horn, uh, who's another great guitarist and producer, he introduced me one time at the faculty concert and he called me a performer, arranger, and wrangler of musicians. <laughs> I thought that's so true because you're just grabbing people and solving problems all day. Right. And, um, and then, you know, at a different time in my career, um, one of my students pointed out he was with me as kind of a production assistant on a bunch of concerts. And he said, you know, there's something you say all the time when things kind of go wrong or something weird happens. I said, well, what do I say? And he said, you just look right at the person and you say, okay, great. <laughs> and, he goes, and then we just move on and we just fix it. But I'm starting to think that maybe it's not okay. And maybe you don't really think it's great. <laughs> Well, that's how how it goes. And and so many, if you think of those moments, think of all the amazing things that came out of them. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah. not to in any way diminish the difficulty of what we're going through and how hard and challenging it is, especially and not evenly distributed, right? So I don't want to diminish that at all. Uh, but I do want to say that the way that the students and the faculty at Berkeley have approached it has been inspiring on difficult days. There's always a project where we think like, oh, wait a minute, here's an opportunity. Here's a class we wouldn't have thought mm -hmm. to develop that's gonna be really good for students. Um, right before I met with you, I was on the phone with our faculty members who run the film scoring and guitar collaboration, mm -hmm. which of course now is not a live studio experience. It's all remote. And I'm thinking, you know, moving forward, we're going to keep some of the remote stuff yeah. and the live. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. the students will go out into the world. And and when they have that that first gig, that could be so intimidating. They're going to say, mm -hmm. I know how to do this. Yeah. Today, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about how prospective students, whether they're going to Berkeley or, or any other music school, can better prepare. And I'm thinking, well, who else better to talk to than the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley? And But first, before I get into that, Tell us a little bit about what being the chair of a guitar department at a major university outside of a pandemic, because obviously these are weird times as we've talked about, what does your day-to-day kind of look like? <laughs> well, first of all, I challenge any chair at Berkeley to answer that question definitively. And it really falls into that category of adaptation because it's you don't know what it's going to be. Um, so let me describe it this way. Berkeley is the largest and most stylistically diverse guitar department in the world by far, in, meaning that there are about a thousand guitar students at any given time. And right now we have 56 guitar faculty, including me and the assistant chair, who's also a professor. So when you think about it that way, with the students and faculty alone is a lot of moving parts. So what we're doing from a curricular standpoint every day as we're checking in on the curriculum. We're making sure that all the styles are represented. We're making sure that the faculty have a lot of creative freedom in what they teach. So meaning that you have your private lessons with your teacher and that's going to be on a stylistic focus. You choose with that person. Students can choose to be with a different teacher every semester if they want to. So the students are able to build their experience in that way. And in addition to the private lesson curriculum, then we have labs 
which is like every teacher, whatever you dream to teach, you can teach it in this small group format. And students can take many of those. You have to take a certain amount for your curriculum. Then you can take many more if you have that space. And then we have ensemble classes. And the goal of those is to perform at some time at the end of the semester. And all of those are everything. They're, I mean, from metal to ensembles and labs that are named after people like the Joni Mitchell, the Steve Vine, the Jimi Hendrix, the Chet Atkins. Um, any student can take any style. So what we say to people is go deep into where you feel comfortable and then broaden as much as you feel you need to. And maybe broaden a little yeah. more than that. You know, push yourself out. And we have this community of people that works in that way. And I know this is hard to believe, but it's really true that there is not competition among the faculty at all. And I know that sounds crazy with 56 guitar players in the same area, but it's really true in the sense that there you might have a student with a teacher and the student is saying, you know, there's this one thing I really want to learn. And the teacher won't say, well, you have to stay with me or on a track. They'll say, you know, I understand why you feel that way. Have you met my friend? You know, this professor would be amazing for you. And now they can email. But sometimes when we're on campus, you just walk down the hallway and meet that person. Right. And so there's a lot of my job that's managing all of that. What do faculty need? What do students need? Uh, there's a lot of advising because you really can build your own curriculum to some extent within your major that you choose. And you can really build what kind of guitar experience you want to have. So a lot of our time is with students coming to us in the office and saying like, okay, I want to do these things that seem really crazy. Like I'm interested in metal, composition, classical guitar, and jazz fusion. And I'll like, okay, <laughs> we have that for you. You know, we have a great, I'm just thinking of a specific student right now is a wonderful career. And um, he, that was what he wanted. And, and so we got that going. And so that's the kind of thing that we manage there. Then as a chair, I'm also working with the upper administration. So I'm in a lot of meetings with the deans and the provosts and people from other areas of the college. How can we collaborate? What are the issues facing us? Yesterday, I spent a few hours in meetings about what the spring semester might look like. Um, and then we do all of the nuts and bolts. So I oversee the management of our entire schedule. Um, and so I have an assistant chair who's a wonderful guitarist, Cheryl Bailey. And um, so Cheryl and I, today we sat, we've got a big grid on paper with pencils, writing things in and then calling academic scheduling and that we're in Google Sheets and moving things around. And, you know, so there's the absolute smallest thing you can possibly imagine. My room is too hot. I can't have these instruments in my room. Where can I move to? you know, um, what do you see as the goal for a curriculum development in your area, you know? Um, and then I teach classes. So I, I developed several classes. Um, one is um, classical technique for guitarists. I teach a recital workshop, which is a performance major class for fifth semester students. And then I wrote two classes on a grant with um, a faculty member, David Tronzo, and it's spontaneous composition 
which is an improvisation class, and then uh, modern writing, guitar ensemble. And so it's a mix of everything. It's super fun. If you like to juggle, <laughs> it's like the best juggling, right? Because you're like hanging with a student and playing something and then you're teaching a class and then you're advocating for curriculum and then you're like figuring out the puzzle of what Wednesday is going to look like in a certain building. You know, it's a lot. And then there's a lot of interaction with the other chairs and they're all brilliant and they're all multifaceted. So you're just in a, as a chair, I think a super creative problem solving environment all the time. The school that you describe today, Kim, is so different. Uh, when I went to Berkeley, uh, I entered in 1969, and um, mm -hmm. th there was only one kind of guitar taught at the time, one style, and that was archtop jazz. There were maybe six of us that had solid body guitars and were young, and you know Hendrix was still alive. And, you know, so I'd go to Boston Tea Party and see Jeff Beck Truth Band, you know, and then come back and then be in class learning about the trombone overtone series because that was what we were studying for uh, big band arrangements, you know, your arranging classes. And there was, uh, there was a rule that you had to play with the flat pick. Right. And yeah. uh, my teacher, Mick Goodrick, I was really fortunate to have him. <laughs> I, I didn't deserve it, but I landed as one of his students um he played fingerstyle so he was already at 24 he was you know the, the sort of the wise man of the of the of the guitar department but he he was playing fingerstyle <laughs> and right. so he was he yep. had his arms sort of metaphorically crossed and going you know this rule about playing with a flat pick i'm not going to enforce it <laughs> interesting but, uh, and the great bill levitt was still there um, mm -hmm. so he was the, the chair, I guess. I don't know if that was the term used at the time, but he was the head of the guitar department and he, he had written all the material. Uh, but it was, you know, you say metal, you know, the, the, the term hadn't <laughs> even, it was barely simmering as a concept because Black Sabbath was sort of getting ramped up and Led Zeppelin was there, you know, they came through Boston and would play, but it wasn't considered metal. It was considered hard rock. So, I mean, even the terms you're using didn't exist back then. It's amazing that you have them now, you know? <laughs> yeah, isn't that something? I, I mean, I had the great fortune of spending my first five years as assistant chair to Larry Bayonne yeah. before becoming the chair after he retired and moved back to the faculty. And luckily Larry is on the faculty. So we catch up once a week and he's got this perspective because he graduated just before your time in 1967. Mm. And um, was, I think when he, it's either when he graduated or when he came, yeah. he may have come in 67. So as a student. And so um, I think what I learned from, his perspective and the benefit of Rick Peckham, who was his assistant chair for a long time from Rick's perspective was the idea of Berkeley was there was always this hope to reflect what is needed and what will serve you well in a professional career. And also what will serve you well as an artist. And this hope that as 
things develop and change and as people's perspectives develop and change, there's room in the curriculum to do that. And I think in the 90s, like when uh, Larry took over as chair in 1990 formally and brought Rick on and Mick came back from his time at New England Conservatory, that's when they sat down and really rewrote the curriculum. And then Larry thought, okay, how do we start to open the doors to, um, to bring everybody in stylistically so that everyone is more served? And it was such a privilege to be with him and uh, sort of add what we saw as like the missing styles when I came. And, and I'm sure there will be more to come for Cheryl and I to, to work with. Um, but it's, uh, it's pretty wild from from the perspective I'm in to look back at that history and then watch how things grew and developed and expanded. Um, it's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. So when you see, like you said, this one student came in and he wants to play all these seemingly disparate styles, what, did, what advice would you give, say, a high schooler who's serious guitar student uh, who wants to go, whether it's Berkeley or another music school, what advice would you give them in order to be prepared for what they may see when studying guitar in college? I think that when you're preparing, you have to keep remembering as almost a mantra in my view, that you have to go deep to be free. Mm. Everybody wants freedom in their playing. Everybody wants to be able to play whatever they hear and they feel and they want. And you only can do that if you have a deep, knowledge of your instrument and how your hands work Mm. you you have to know the guitar everyone who is a master is a master because they know something deep about the way the fingerboard works about the way things are laid out and the way their hands move on it there are a lot of different tools in that skill set and so some of them maybe apply more to certain styles than others but there's no denying that we have the fretboard and we have the strings and you have your hands and you have your mind and you have your heart as well. But all of those things really have to work. And so even if you wanna be a diverse musician, I think you have to start by embracing the idea of learning as much as you can about the guitar in a deep way. So I would say, start where you are. If you love a certain style of music and you can find a teacher in that to guide you, that would be fantastic. And just start to practice, start to ask yourself questions about the way the guitar works, learn to read music that will never fail you. Get on the guitar and, you know, learn your scales, learn dyads, learn your intervals, basically. You never graduate from intervals. You never graduate from triads. You never graduate from learning the different positions of the guitar and really learning how to breathe Mm how to play safely with good technique Mm. and getting deeper and deeper into what do you have to do with your hands to create the sounds you want to hear, which we'll talk about more when we get really nerdy into the tone (laughs) stuff, but like you have to go deep and then you have a basis because when you think about it, all of the styles of music that we love, they're made of the same stuff, right? So, all the stuff could fit on a small card, as my colleague David Tronzo would say. You could get a business card and you could cram it all in there, right? It's not that much stuff. There's um, 
intervals of pitch and intervals of rhythm and you're you're thinking of your tone production you're thinking of your scales you're thinking of where the notes are on your neck you're thinking of intervals and then you're going to stack the intervals into different chord forms whether they're triads made of thirds or triads made of other intervals or extended harmonies and then you have to know about rhythm and you really have to be able to play in time you could just set your metronome to 60 can you play on the off beats can you play on if you divide it into 16th notes could you play on each one could you switch it up can you play in triplets these kinds of things and then each style has its set of authenticities oh yeah right it has a history but it also has like a a way that you organize that data and so yeah. if you really pay attention to the data and the way you're organizing it for the style you love then you could look at a different style and you could say okay from a data perspective like how is that organized what's the difference in the way rhythm is felt here in blues or here in this maybe bebop right or metal or classical music what stuff are they using are they using the same types of chords are they using different things and then you also have an obligation obviously to to get into who are the players like what's the history where does the music come from like that part of authenticity too but you have you have the roots of something historically and aesthetically and then you just have the data and so I think a lot of people don't examine, especially when you're young, you're not really examining, you're copying a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, I mean, you know, everybody does that because you have a teacher or you have players that you love and, but at, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being inspired. I think you should be inspired and then do the extra step mm. and say this thing that inspires me, what is it made of? Mm. And really learn that if you're learning scales and patterns, stop write out all those notes on staff paper. Think about what scale degrees you're playing. Think about what that means. Someone says, oh, well, that's a mode of the melodic minor. Well, okay, how does that differ from a major scale mode? What notes would you have to change? Yeah. Where are they? Do you know where they are? Because then later, if you wanna change them, if you know where they are, you can change them. Right. So don't fly blind on purpose is what I'm saying. Like get in there and really think about what you're doing. And then if you slow down enough to do that, your body's going to have time for you to breathe and relax when you play. And that will help everything. It'll help the way you sound. It'll also help you not be injured. So I would say grab a teacher, grab your guitar, dig in to what you're doing and get to know what makes it sound the way it sounds so that then when you want to develop it and change it and add to it, you have a foundation. I will say even after all these years that I've been playing and I've been around as you have Kim, so we, you and I have been around some of the best guitar teachers in the world over the last 15, 20 years or whatever it's been. And it's like this return to the fundamentals that uh, I did not have an appreciation for when I was in college. I, I when you talk about the, <laughs> When you talk about even simply the triads, that didn't click for me until I was with a mutual friend, Brett Boyer, in Austin, and I was sitting in his jazz class one day, or Jody Fisher, actually, even, too. Mm-hmm. And I'd, said, I'd sit in their class one day, and I would watch them do what they do, and even both of them have been playing way longer than I have, and they still they focus on the triads, the fundamentals, 
and that just keeps that informs everything afterwards you know i think so i think that there's only fundamentals and even when you become what people would consider oh that's a master player or a master teacher you're still working on the fundamentals you don't ever graduate from them they're endless and every time you're working with something and you feel that, you know, people say I'm in the zone or I feel free or I feel like I really have a command of this. It means that you can demonstrate it, that you feel familiar enough with it, that at any moment you could say, yeah, okay, I can do that. And when you think about it, everything you've studied in your life, even if you haven't played very long, if you think about the time that you've played, you've gone through so much material you're not going to be able to feel that comfortable demonstrating and being familiar with every single thing. So it's okay to say, Oh, I'm not as familiar with that anymore. I'm going to have to spend more time with it. And people run away. What happens is people run away. You, you uncover all of us, right? And I'll put me in that category. You often uncover, Oh, there's something you feel uncomfortable with. And instead of saying, yeah, you know, my time is kind of shaky <laughs> right. when I start playing off beats. How many times do people run away from that and say, okay, I'm not going to deal with that. Now I don't really need to do that for right now, or that's not a big deal. I'm going to play this other thing. Instead of really sitting there and put your metronome on 50 or 60 and get comfortable with yeah. it. And I yeah. think the more that students younger embrace the idea that being uncomfortable is okay, as long as, what it does is motivates you to practice and become more familiar with something and that it's, it's normal. It's not like someone will say, Oh, are you unfamiliar with those intervals? Well, then you don't deserve to do this. Get out of here. You know, mm -hmm. that's not really what happens, it's not really how you're going to learn anyway. There's one other thing too, that I, I, I think since both of you have such a history as instructors, you know, guitar teachers that uh, bears mentioning when I went to Berkeley uh, I was 17 and you know what do you know when you're 17 <laughs> not a lot you know it's it, you're confused about life one of the most important things that I took away from my formal education and I think this would apply to any music college one of the single most important things was when I landed there, all of a sudden I raised my eyes and saw all my peers, my fellow students, and they were all, most of them, almost without exception, you know, the, the best musicians from their region and their town, their city. Um, they had put their minds to this this ideal of, 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 of having music as a professional career. And so back then, we used this expression at Berkeley, the hometown heavies. <laughs> and I don't know if that's still around at Berkeley, but the hometown heavies would collide. So every semester when the new crop came in, people would be thinking of themselves as the badass from, you know, such and such town in such and such state. You know, maybe they were in the top top three bands of, of the region and mm. they all collide and all of a sudden you go oh that's where the bar is mm. and it I saw it take down a lot of young people 
because they couldn't, you know, beyond the skills that you had to have, they couldn't reconcile the fact that they were no longer numero uno in their region, that they might actually have roommates that can play circles around them. And, and how do you deal with that, you know, emotionally and, and psychically to go on and, and, and do the work that you're talking about, Kim, you know, with the metronome? I think that's really interesting. I think that, I mean, I have a doctorate in guitar. So I did my undergrad, my master's and my doctorate in guitar performance. So I have an appreciation for all of the emotional just things that you go through. Right. Not really a technical term, but, yeah. you know, I do, I do have an appreciation for that. I think at Berkeley, I am sensitive to the idea that my perspective is different than a student's. So I can say what I think the environment is like. And then if you're a student, it'll feel different. Yeah. You have a different, you know, sometimes I think I say like my Berkeley and then what's your Berkeley experience? And Larry Bayon and I used to actually play a game together where we'd go to the same meeting or the same concert. And the game was, what do you think just happened? Uh, right. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and I play it all the time. And I, I feel like I, that's what I play with students when we're talking, you know, what do you think is happening right now in your time here and in your class? So I want to give that some respect because I don't know exactly what it feels like right now yeah. to be a freshman at Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say that, because we're so stylistically diverse and because there are so many majors to choose from now that I think what being the top player from your area means is so vastly different and it can mean very different things. So yeah, you still do get the, how fast can you play? Like uh, how complex is the music that you're playing? You know, um, oh, you're, that person's a monster. Or she just rips through that thing, or he just is amazing when he does that. There, there will be that. I think that Berkeley is very good at valuing all the things. So they're valuing performance in different styles based on what that is for that style, and they're valuing writing and production and all kinds of applications of it. So I would say I would hope that that helps. And then beyond that, I would say that all of our perceptions of what a master is, we grow and change in that as we get older. And part of coming to college is having that experience that you described, where you're completely sure it's one thing. And then you show up and you look around and you're and you say, like, oh, oh no, like what? Oh, my gosh. You know, and I think you almost have to have yeah. that experience so that, you know, because what's going to happen is you're going to come and you're going to feel like I can play all this stuff. And then your teacher's going to say, listen, um, we've put these fundamentals together in these final exam materials, which, you know, as the proficiencies. Yeah. And we're going to work on your scale. So we're going to work on dyads today and we're going to work on triads and there are a lot of people who are saying like i already know this right. now i don't want to slow down and do this like look at this other thing and then what happens of course is anytime you do you start to see what's unfamiliar to you and and then as you go back you can start to build in all of these things that make you a much deeper more expressive player that feels more comfortable and more and more familiar with the instrument so i think you cannot run from the idea that you will have that experience in music school. There will be no doubt. You will come in and you will feel crushed by it some days. 
you know, there was a joke when I was in um, conservatory that said, you know, it was like music majors. If you're not crying, you're not doing it right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, and I think because you're always thinking about like, what does that mean about me? You know, if my playing isn't what I thought it was, am I not who I thought I was? And there are all kinds of musical problems and then there's non-musical problems and all of this stuff comes up and then you're alone and you're practicing. They have to go and play in front of other people. And do they think you're, you know, there's all kinds of things. And when you're in that environment, it's like, it's so pronounced. It's so intense. And the thing is, is that the great thing about Berkeley, I think, is that all of the teachers have gone through it. Mm-hmm. Everybody. And so it's easy to say to the students, like, your teacher knows what's happening and they see you and they hear you and they know what's happening. So you can trust us. Like, we know the way. Yeah, You're part of the community. I think one thing that Berkeley does well is, hopefully, is to say, like, this belongs to you mm-hmm. forever. You know, you're a part of the Berkeley guitar community from the moment mm-hmm. that you come in as a freshman. Right. And I say that to students, students will say like, I, I really do know that when people come to Berkeley, it's their dream, you know, and I see every student on the first day when they do the placement audition. I don't know if you have to do a placement audition for ensembles and get your ratings and all that. Uh, but they do that. They play for the faculty of the guitar department, the ensemble department. So they get placed in an ensemble. And then the chairs of the guitar department, we sit with each student. Mm. And um, so many times people are, they're just kind of having this moment in their life where they're saying, oh my God, I'm at Berkeley. Yeah. You know, and people will say, well, you have a great, this is an amazing school that you have. And I say, well, it's an amazing school that we have because this belongs to you. And then, of course, they get so overwhelmed, but it's like, yes, this is yours. So now that it's yours, hopefully when these moments of insecurity come up, you can take a deep breath and say like, okay, I'm in the right place with the right people who can help me move forward. Um, and, And they're all inevitable. All those moments, you have to go through them to grow. So, yeah, it's um, maybe the fundamentals is just the, it's like your meditation, right? Yeah. That you come back to. Yeah. Yeah. I got one final question, Kim, is, and I've heard people tell me yes and no to this question. And I figure who better to ask than the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley? Do you have to learn how to read music to graduate from Berkeley as a guitar player? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right. You do. It's a skill. You have to learn it. Um, it's a good idea to dig into it before you come. Interesting thing is when I started as a music major, I could not read one note of music. Yeah, that's fine. And it was frightening. Wow. Because mm-hmm. I'm standing with saxophone players and trumpet players and piano players who can read better than I can read today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was... It was daunting, <laughs> I gotta say, and I didn't go to like a, a well-known music school as, as a as an undergrad, and but getting over that hump is one of the best things I've ever done because I get gigs to this day that the reason, if not one of the reasons, is because I can read music fluently. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, not to in any way say that the oral traditions in style are not 
equally valid to any written tradition. Mm -hmm. I think that we have some incredibly deep players who have come like with huge experience playing in oral traditions. That's amazing. I think because we're a school and we want someone to say, look, I went to Berkeley and I'm prepared to do whatever comes and adapt to whatever comes and knowing that Written music is a huge part of our professional world and the way that you can communicate your music with other people. We do focus on it. What we do in the first, so we have eight levels of final exams and however many you take depends on the major that you choose. In the first four levels, we work with reading and not sight reading. So we give the students charts and uh, notated melodies and notated like rhythmic, um, standard notation like rhythmic patterns and things. And you work on them with your teacher because sight reading isn't really sight reading. As you know, it's like, it's like memory reading. It's like knowing what to expect and then feeling comfortable and familiar with it. So that's how we do it. And there are a lot of materials like people can go um, to our website. We have um, books like you could just get these books on your iPad even that are like the entry music theory books in Bill Levitt's books, our former chair, as, as you mentioned, in those like um, Berkeley Guitar Method books, there's a lot of reading in there. Um, and there's even like some free classes from Berkeley Online, which is the online college uh, that Berkeley has. It's separate from Berkeley College of Music, but it has like these free classes where you can go, they're massive open online classes and you can learn like basic theory and stuff like that. So um, I think why, why leave any tool on the table is yeah. what I think. Yeah. And approach it like that. Like there's no, I don't know. It's, I think it gets really hard when you love something and there's part of it you're unfamiliar with. You feel so insecure. And I would say embrace that insecurity and just go right at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Well, you heard it here. Only tabs will only get you so far. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You want to choose your fingers, right? Come on. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks, Kim, for joining us this week. It's so much fun to, to catch up with you and, and yeah. spend some time hanging and nerding out. So uh, we'll be back later this week with more from Kim Perlack. Mm-hmm.